Okay, we're in the middle of a series called The Hall of Faith, and we've just been walking through different characters in the Bible. We really believe that God can speak to us through different characters' lives because they, they relate to us better more than we think we do. And, um, Hebrews chapter 11 and 12 talk about there's a, there's a great cloud of witnesses. There's these amazing Bible heroes, and they're cheering you and I on. And the premise of the series came from the idea of like, okay, hey, if you were sitting with one of them, like what would they say? If you were going to sit with Moses or David or Mary, Rebecca, and like what would they say? And so I kind of created a message based on that. Today we're going to talk about one of my favorite Bible characters, and it's Elisha. And um, if you don't know anything about Elisha, he was a prophet in the Old Testament, and he kind of succeeded uh, one of the major prophets, I mean, maybe the most famous prophet, Elijah. Now, you can't talk about Elisha if you don't talk about Elijah, so let me give you some backs, some just background on, on Elijah. Elijah was amazing. He, um, he was the mentor of Elisha. He has re- recorded in at least Scripture 14 major miracles that you see inside of Scripture and um, did some amazing things, like called fire down from heaven. Like, how would y'all like to do that? What if you were camping and you needed a... You needed a fire. I mean, you you know, Elijah could have been like, hey, God, can you help a brother out, you know? And uh, he had some really unique things that happened inside of his life. You got to go read it in Kings. But um, maybe the most prominent thing I think that he's um, maybe known for is he's one of two people in recorded history that doesn't die. The Bible actually says that he was caught up. We'll read about it. He was caught up in the chariots of fire. I wonder if that's where they wrote that song from. I don't know. But uh, the Bible says he doesn't die. In fact, you actually see him again in what they call the, on the Mount of Transfiguration, which is when uh, Jesus walks up on the mountain. He sees both. The Bible says he sees Moses and Elijah. And uh, so real, real important guy. But what you find is, is that Elijah finds Elisha. And Elijah finds this this guy who is seemingly not doing a whole lot. And when Elisha meets Elijah, he asks Elijah for a double portion of what he has and uh, actually gets it. And then he spent his life, uh, I would say this, the interesting thing about the scriptures, if you go back and you read about Elisha's life, basically, especially leading up to him being seen by Elijah, it took him a long time to be noticed. And most scholars believe, I thought this was interesting in my study, most scholars believe that if you were to talk to Elisha, most of his life was wondering and wondering if his life would ever really make a difference. Just, God, I know you have something for me, but is it ever gonna really happen? Has anybody ever thought like, I kind of feel like that sometimes, you know? Like, God, I know what you called me to do, but I'm just not sure. Anybody ever feel like that other than me? Just kind of, man, I just, uh, God, do you see me? You know, you say stuff like that. Do you ever pray like that? God, I... something ever happened to you and you just look up to heaven and you're like, God, did you see that? Like, I think Elisha would relate a lot to you and I. And so we're going to read about his story in 1 Kings chapter 19. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, we'll put it up on the screens for you to kind of make it easy for you to see it. It says this, so Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a, a field. And there were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak 
across his shoulders and then walked away. By the way, great, great illustration for those of you who might be um, seasoned in life. Maybe you've got some gray hairs flowing. You know what your job is to do? Go throw your cloak over the young ones. Don't, don't put out their fire. Throw some gasoline on them. Help them become who they're, they're called to be. You're in a church where we celebrate both young and old. We celebrate those who have just starting out in life and some of y'all who've been saved since Moses was on this earth. We celebrate all y'all. Both of you have a purpose. Come on, somebody. And if you're not, I always tell people, you ain't dead, you ain't done. God's got to work. So you have to go throw your cloak over somebody. And then Elisha left the oxen standing there and ran after Elijah and said to him, wait, let me go tell mom and dad goodbye. I got to kiss mama. She'd be mad. Then I'll go with you. And Elijah said, go back and think about what I've done to you. You got to go think about this. Think about what you're about to do. Because it's a big deal. And so Elisha returned to his oxen and he slaughtered them and he used the wood from the plow to build a fire and roast their flesh. He had some burgers. And then he passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate and they went to Elijah as his assistant. Then 10 years go by, scholars believe. About 10 years, so he, he's called. God says he's called. And God tells him he's called. God actually literally calls him through his prophet. Then 10 years go by. It's like it's God's way. He did it with David. He seems to be doing it with Elisha. In 2 Kings chapter 2, it says, When they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken away. And Elisha replied, Please let me inherit a double portion. Whatever you got, I want too. And then Elijah goes, Well, look, I was thinking maybe bread or a, a horse or something. Because what you've asked is pretty hard. But he said, but here's how we're going to know if you get it. If you see me taken away from you, then you're going to get your request. But if not, then you won't. And as they were walking and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared. Dun, dun. You all hear the song, the music? Drawn by horses of fire and it drove between the two of the men, separating them. And Elijah was carried by a whirlwind to heaven. And Elijah saw and cried out, my father, my father. And I see the chariots, charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress. And Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak, which had been fallen. And when he was taken up, and then Elisha turned to the bank of the Jordan River, struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, where is the Lord and the God of Elijah? And the river divided. And Elisha went across. If you're taking notes today, the title of my message is the, the, the words of Elisha, the words of Elisha. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I know that you're here. I know that you have something to speak to us about. God, you are more than able. And so more than anything, God, get me out of the way. Let your Holy Spirit reign supreme in this place. Let we make much of you, Jesus, as we look at some of the Old Testament characters in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Um, isn't it true? All of life is really how we see it. It's not really what it is. Y'all know that, right? It's not really what's actually happening. It's what we perceive to be happening. Here's how you know this. Oftentimes when you go back and look at your life, you'll see oftentimes what you thought was happening wasn't really happening, right? Like, isn't that true? Like, isn't it true in your marriage? Like, oftentimes what you fight about, you realize, you think is such a big deal. In it. Come on, married people. <laughs> Y'all were doing it on the way here. You were fighting about something you know doesn't make a lick a difference. You don't even care about it. But you think you do, so therefore in your mind, you got to argue about it. And if anybody's going to be right, it's going to be me. I remember as I grew up, 
um, my mom used to make lunch for me when I grew up. I mean, I had like a good mom that just made your lunch for school. Come on, somebody. If you just had a mom that just loved you enough to put a little bit of that bread, PB and J, maybe a little bit of ham Sammy, you know what I'm saying? They just hooked you up. And uh, my mom used to do that all the time, and she used to uh, make my sandwich. When my school, we were separated by a lot of different things. One of the things we were separated by on a regular basis was, was the sandwich baggies. Now, I, I know y'all don't, like, understand what I'm saying, and maybe y'all grew up in maybe a little tougher season or hood than I did, but we, we divided by sandwich baggies, you know? And if you were a cool kid, your sandwich baggie looked a little like this, and it was really cool, and it had some unique technology. I don't know if you all have seen sandwich bag technology recently, but they invented this thing called the Ziploc. You all know what I'm talking about. And it looked like this, and it always had like a green band or a blue band or a purple band. And, and it was like if you had the Ziploc bag, hold on, hold on. It was like you were, you were the man, you know what I mean? And what I realized is, is that's how you determined whether or not you were cool at lunchtime. But I don't know about you. I didn't grow up with the Ziploc bags. I grew up. I grew up with the, just the whacktastic bag. That was, they called these, whoever invented these had no imagination, I'll just tell you, because it was the fold, y'all hear what I'm saying, the fold over baggies to where you put the sandwich in and then you fold them over and it kind of looked like this, it don't even look right, <laughs> and so people would take out, it was like show and tell every lunch, you would pull out your sandwich and then you'd pull it out and it would determine whether or not you were cool. How many of y'all had the fold-over sandwich? Come on, raise your hand because we're a part of a really important club that desperately needs counseling. Okay, <laughs> great. How many of y'all had the Ziploc bag growing up? Come on, the Ziploc people. Raise them like you're proud. Go ahead, that's fine. <laughs> raise your just dis disrespectful hands up. That's fine, go ahead. We just judge you right now. Just so y'all know, there's a... That's fine. Y'all just, whatever. God loves you, so we don't have to. So it just is what it is. But I remember saying and thinking in my mind, what I thought was, was that my parents didn't have enough money to buy the Ziploc bags. Because if you notice, these bags are cheaper than these bags. And as a kid, I realized quickly that these bags are more expensive than these bags. And I grew up thinking that we didn't have enough money to buy myself a Ziploc bag. And that kind of made me think we didn't have enough money for other things. And so you start to do things as a kid. Y'all hear what I'm saying? You start to adjust your expectations. You start to think things. And I thought, growing up my whole life, I thought mom and dad did not have enough money. We were we were, we were poor. We didn't have the ability to buy the Ziploc bag. And therefore, it really kind of messed with me. I know it sounds silly, but it really kind of messed with me. How many of y'all have like these little things in your mind in your childhood that kind of mess with you a little bit, right? About your life and, and different things. And I remember talking to my parents the other day, about a couple years ago. And I told my mom this story and she goes, because I go to counseling regularly. Trust me, I need it. And, uh, <laughs> and she goes, what do you ever talk about in your counseling session, son? What do you ever talk about? I said, well, primary 99% of it is about you. And so <laughs> mom issues, you know, and she's like, no, it's not. No, it's not. And I said, well, 
I said, I'm, I'm just teasing, Mama. It's just 75%. And I said, uh, but I do remember one story that came up about my childhood was this, Mom, do you ever remember the fold-over bags? And she goes, yeah, I remember the fold-over bags. And she goes, why was that brought up as a situation? I said, well, I always thought that we were, that we were, not, we were not well off financially. And all I wanted was, it, it, it's how we determined if you were cool. And I always wanted the Ziploc bags. And I always asked you, and you said no. And I always thought because we didn't have enough money. And she goes, son, that's not why I never did that. And I said, well, why was it? He goes, well, your dad preferred the fold-over bags for his lunch because he would get really big sandwiches and they were harder to fit in the Ziploc bags and so it was easy for him to have the fold-over bags. He liked those better. I said, so you're telling me that had nothing to do with our money, our financial situation? She goes, no. I could buy the 20 cent more bags. It's not that, it's not that big of a deal. And I said, it was so weird to me. It was, it was like the map. Come on, like my, my, it was like I was blind and now I see for what was really happening. And, and um, what's interesting about life is that we don't see life as it is. Okay, this is important. We see life as we are. So we don't see life as it actually is, we see life as we actually are. So you, you and I all have these weird lenses that we look through life, at life through, and it complicates it. And you, you can start thinking things about life that aren't true, and because you think those things about life that aren't true, they become true in your life. And now you live based on those half-truths or lies or incomplete statements and it's, it's like, you ever do something wrong when you were a kid and your mom said something like, um, like, like, I just can't with you anymore, right? Or, or I'm done with you. Has anybody ever told, do you remember when your parents told you I'm done with you? Go to your room. Anybody ever have that happen, right? They weren't really done with you in the moment they were. But some of us have taken those wounds and now you think if you do something wrong, people are going to be done with you. Y- y'all hear? And so we don't see life as it really is. We see life as we are. And because we see life as we are, it's inaccurate. So therefore you get an inaccurate view of life. And because you get an inaccurate view of life, you can very easily get an accurate view of God. And because you have an inaccurate view of God, when God says something in his word to you about you are an overcomer and you are the head and not the tail, you're like, yeah, but not always. Sometimes. Because your current, this is important. Listen, if you checked out, check back in. Somebody's asleep, elbow time. Your current circumstance can completely distort your future potential. Completely distorted. Completely. Like, completely. You can think where I'm at now is all there ever is going to be. Where I'm at now is my lot in life. Come on. Where I'm at now is where I'm going to be stuck for the rest of my life. And Elisha can totally relate to you. Because most of his life, remember, go back to what the scholars believe. Most of his life, He struggled with wondering if his life would ever make sense. Most of his life was stuck behind an ox. Do you know what it's like? 
I would bear to say 99% of us in here have no idea what it's like to be behind an ox. So I brought a picture. This is what Elisha's life would have been like. Now, the interesting thing about an ox, like any other animal, is that when you're plowing a field behind an ox, at some point, y'all hear where I'm going with this, there's going to be a moment where it feels like your life and you're walking in whatever word you want to use. Dookie? I mean, you can say whatever you want. Doo-doo, poo, you know, whatever. What's the appropriate church word to say that, you know? I could say something. Anyway. And because you're in that current state, you can think God forgot you. God doesn't have a plan for your life. God, you missed God. You, you thought you were supposed to take this job, but you took this job, and now you're behind an ox. You're supposed to marry this person, and now you married this person, and you're behind an ox. You made this financial investment, and it didn't work out, and so now you're behind an ox. You're, you, you, you did this with your health. You made this decision to have this thing done and make this happen, and you went to this, this doctor, and you went to this doctor, and now you're behind an ox. Come on. Like, this is a normal thing. You, did, you went and did something in the name of the Lord, and it actually turned out worked against you. And you're behind an ox. Elisha could totally relate. And I think if he was to talk to you and I, here's what I think he would say. This is just kind of summarizing the statement. This is me. If you're taking notes, it's a good, good thing to say. Um, to get God's best, you got to give your best. Yeah. Now, I know that sounds overly simplistic, and I'll explain it in just a minute. But I think Elisha would literally sit down and tell you that. I think he said, to get God's best, because you want God's best. You know God has best for you. You really probably believe it. You read the Bible verses that you got. God has best things for you. But you play a part in it. And in order for you to get God's best, you're going to have to give God's best. And I think he would say for you to give God's best in three specific areas. Number, number one is this. This is, this, is, this is important if you're taking notes. you got to give your best in obscurity where no one knows you, where you have no notoriety, when you are hidden, when you're on the backside of a mountain, when all you do is go and do the same thing every single day behind an ox. Because when you give your best in obscurity, God will reward you publicly. Look at, look at, look at Elisha, 1 Kings chapter 19. So Elijah, this is Elijah, he's done. He's like, man, I got to find my successor. God commands him, go find Elisha, son of Shaphat. He's going to be doing something, and here's where he's going to be doing it. You go, here's where you're going to find him. Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. Legitimately in the middle of nowhere with no one, and no one knows about it. Elisha was found. He didn't have to be discovered. Elisha was found. He didn't have to take it into his own hands. Elisha was found. He didn't have to fight to be seen. Elisha was found. He didn't have to post on Instagram 8,000 times a day so that people knew he was alive and what food he was eating that day. Elisha was found, and he didn't have to call somebody randomly in the middle of the night to let them know you're okay and everything's all right, and you're going to walk through things, and you're emotionally unstable. Come on. Elisha was found because he knew God would find him. 
And unfortunately, a lot of us miss God because we take it into our own hands. Come on. And you think since God missed that, since you missed God and God missed you, has anybody ever felt like you're, you're, you're not even hiding from God, but he don't know where you're at? I've had some days. Maybe it's just me. I've had some days recently where I'm looking up in heaven going, I thought this was a mutual partnership, Lord. Like I'd be a pastor for your church. And as such, you would keep me from the backside of an ox. Does anybody else think logistically like me? Anybody? Okay, good. Good, good, good. So, so we're in obscurity and our current circumstance makes us feel like we're not being seen. And so what we do because we're nervous Nellies, we got to do something because we're not called to be behind an ox. And God, if he would just see my potential, if he would just recognize my gift, if that church would just show up and show out and figure out that I got something to serve and give to, my boss would just finally recognize that I'm promotable. If my husband would just pay attention and just recognize the gift that's in front of him, he would just see it halfway. If my kids would just know that they be blessed. Stop playing that Fortnite. Clean your room. If they would just know, God, you're missing it. I got to take it into my own hands. And if Elisha would have done that, he'd have missed Elijah. Y'all hear? My son, Judah, he was, uh, he, he's where I think they invented sugar from. He just bounces. He doesn't even know how to walk. He bounce walks. Do anybody have a kid like that? They just, they don't know how to not sit, like they can't sit still. And so I avoid giving my son sugar at all, ever. And um, it was like a Saturday and he, he woke up and he called my parents. He don't even have a phone. He's nine. He's, my son's not, he's nine? Babe, is he Nine? Nine? He's nine. He's nine. My son's nine years old. He had no phone. He called my mom and my dad. Somehow got a hold of my grand- his grandparents. He loves his grandparents. My dad's like super grandpa. He's the dad that like, he's the grandpa that takes kids. Like you see in the movies, you know, they take them to the park and to the fishing and to, to get them ice cream and just overly sugarfy them and give them back to me. That's how he does it. That's how he lives his life. So he calls my dad. My dad, as soon as my dad finds out he wants to hang out, my dad was over at the house before the phone call was over. He picks up my son. He shows up at my house. He walks in. I'm like, what, what are you doing here? And Judah walks down my steps, fully clothed. My dad walks out. I didn't care because I got five of them. I'm like, peace. We'll see you later. I hope you come back when you're 18. You know, you're like, Whatever. So he leaves, and so I tell my boys, I'm like, you know what? I'm feeling like a donut. I want to get a donut. I said, anybody like a donut? I'm a, I just every once in a while, I just want a good donut. I don't even eat donuts, but sometimes I, just, I like donuts. So we, I, we all went and got a donut, came back, and we, we ate our donuts, but there was a remnant of donuts. Y'all ever have remnant donuts left on the counter? That's the best, because then you can have your donut and then somebody else's donut that they left up behind, you know? And so you there's remnants of donuts over there. And so my son comes home later on, and he, he looks, and he sees the remnants, and he goes, where's my donut? And I said, Psh. 
you left, homie. And he goes, but you're my dad. I said, and what? He's like, well, we're supposed to have donuts. I didn't know we were going to have donuts. If I would have known we had donuts, I wouldn't have left. I said, if you wouldn't have left, you, wouldn't, you would have had a donut. What can I say? You ain't getting a donut. And I think sometimes with the Lord, he, he's got something planned for you. Come on. And because it's not on your time and in your way, what you and I do, we love to do this. God, let me help you. Anybody try to help God? I help him all the time. Now, Lord, let me help you with this. I'm going to go take, I'm going to go take, I got this. You good. You, have draw, you got that universal stuff. Like, I, I'll be okay over here. I, I'm, let me help you because you ain't moving quick. Really what I'm saying is you ain't doing this fast. You ain't doing it in my way. You want to do it in your way. Let me do it in my way. I'm better with that. I have control issues, so let me have the, let me have you, because you, you distracted with other things. So let me help you with that. Just work on my wife. I'll take care of this. You know, just <laughs> stuff like that. And so I'm like, okay, I want to do it. And so I'll get involved, and when I get involved, I miss out on what God had for me. And so Elisha was stuck behind an ox and it was exactly where he needed to be and he found uh, Elijah was found him. I like what Proverbs chapter 18 says, a man's gift makes room for him. We get it backwards in the American church. That we need to make room for our gift. God, I need to make room for it. You don't see it. I'm anointed. I'm gifted. Look at my hands. Have you seen my social media content recently? It's pretty powerful. And you're not, you're not seeing it. And I got a dream and I got a vision and I got it from you and nothing happening. And in that time, I think when you're behind an ox, you think it's dead time. It's not dead time. It's development time. It's development time. It's not wasted time. It's not, it's not time that's like, oh, well, you know, I'm just kind of biding my time. That's not a thing in the kingdom. Development time is in the kingdom. So if you're behind an ox and thing ain't working out the way you thought it would in the timing that you thought it would, then you, you got to remember God is watching. He's looking. He's trying to see. What's he going to do? What, what's, what's he going to do? Because God loves to develop people in obscurity. He, it's, it's, just his, it's just his way. I, I like what Matthew chapter 6 says. Your father who sees what is done in secret, he's going to reward you. It's so like if you don't do things for recognition, then he will recognize you. It's like the way of the Lord, which is the anti, I don't know if you, my personality, that's the anti-Aaron personality. Like I want to do stuff to be recognized. I'm just being honest. Like that's my, that's my issue. My pastor knew that the moment I got into ministry when I was 17 years old. He knew it. He goes, this guy just want to be on the platform. And so I'd walk up to him every once in a while and be like, hey, pastor. You ever need somebody to give like a word? Like, you know, for, I don't need to do the whole message, but I can do like the altar call or like the offering. Or if honestly, anything that has to do with the platform, I'm really gifted. So just, you know, let me know. And he would laugh. I still can hear his laugh. He would laugh. He'd go, ha, why don't you go park a car? Why don't you go? We had a building. I didn't say this in the first service. We had a building. We built a $10 million youth facility. I, I served at a youth ministry that had 1,500 kids on a Wednesday night. 
If you ever had 1,500 kids on a Wednesday night, you ever smelt the room that, with a bunch of teenagers like that? It'll change you forever. You will be changed from the inside out. And uh, we had this building, and in the back, we used to place someone in the back of the building to keep kids from messing around behind. We're talking, not even in the building, the back of the outside of the building. Y'all hear what I'm saying? There was a back of the building. There was one light. There wasn't even light back there. And he would love, love to schedule me to watch the squirrels at night. It was squirrel patrol. No kids never even came back there. We just did that as a safety precaution in case any kids ran out the door trying to get crazy. One kid in the years I was there came out that door, and it was somebody who was clearly confused where the bathroom was. I came to him and I said, can you just, can't you see? You put me behind an ox. I'm in the shadows over here. I'm not in the light. He goes, oh, yeah, that's how God works. Yeah, he works in the shadows and the obscurity and all the things that you don't, when you're not seen, it's kind of, it's kind of how he works. He works, he used to tell me, he goes, he works in the, Ministry of the toilets. So he, my, you know, my number, number one ministry I used to do, I was in charge of this, was cleaning the toilet seats twice a service. Not the bathroom, the seats of the toilet. Because he knew, I, oh, you need to be in obscurity. You got to be behind an ox. If, if one day the Lord's going to give you something like this, you got, you got to be able to handle something like that. Where nobody sees you and you don't get an attaboy. And there's no video that says, you know, Aaron's cleaning the seats. <laughs> the great lie in obscurity is that it's hard when it's hard and if it's long, if it's smelly, if it's frustrating, if it's painful, it's bad. It's a lie. There's a Christian misnomer out there. I hear it all the time. It's like, well, if it's of God, it won't be hard. Like, you clearly don't read the Bible then. Everybody who ever did anything for the Lord of any significance had it hard. Had it hard. If it was easy, everybody would do it. Everybody would do it. It's supposed to be hard. Where you are now, could he, maybe it's exactly where you need to be. That's a different perspective. Something to think about. Number two. Number two. So first you've got to give your best, right, in obscurity. Then you've got to give your best in small things. Small things. If you give your best in small things, God will give you the big things to do. You need to know this. God really does care about the details. Look, look at this. This is interesting. First Kings chapter 19. I thought it was interesting that the Bible would point this out. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them, and he used the wood to plow and build a fire and make some burgers. And then he went with Elijah as his vice president of operations, executive pastor of ministry relations and 
power. Now it's his assistant. And you know what assistant did? You know what they did back then? Assistant things. The lowest of lowest of lowest of lowest. I'll give an example. Culturally, what they would do is they'd wash the, the prophet's hands and feet anytime he moved and went in place. He'd wash his feet and wash his hands. His feet that would have dirt, grime, feces, rocks. I mean, some of y'all don't like clean feet. It'd be, it'd be rough. And that was his job. To do the little things. This is Elisha we're talking about. The guy who got double portion. Come on. Who, not did, who didn't do 14 miracles, he did 28 miracles. The guy who, who did things that no one else could have ever done. This guy's washing the prophet's feet, his hands. Because God cares about the details. He cares about the little things. I grew up with uh, leaders who would tell me, like, if you're going to do something, you better do it right. And so I'd be like, okay. And so I got in ministry. As you can tell, I'm telling you, like, I, I, I'm the pastor to, to create a world where to, like, do the opposite of him, you know. Maybe there's good pastors out there, but I'm different. I just give you all the things I did wrong. And, um, like, when I got in ministry, like, it was, it was really apparent um, that my pastor had a goal with me. And um, I would say stuff like, okay, like, when you're ready for me to lead something, I'm your man. And he goes, okay, you ready? I'm ready for you to lead something. He goes, but first let's go see your car. I'm like, what's wrong with my car? I don't even see my car. I don't need anything in my car. My car's fine. He goes, no, let's, let's just go see it. You want to leave? You want to leave? You want to leave? Like, yeah. Okay, let's go see my car. So you want to see my car? And you open the door, and he go, so here's how it works. If you want to lead, big things, you got to lead small things. Start with yourself and clean the floorboard of your car. Because God cares about the details. I said, what does the floorboard of my car have to do with the souls of people? He goes, if you can't take care of the floorboard of your car, why would God trust you with the souls of people? I was like, that's not fair. Because I don't want it to mean that. You and I don't want that to happen. That's, that's we don't want that to be true. We want to be late everywhere we go, and then people still trust us. Yep. I met people. They're late all the time. All the time. It's a joke. And we funny like ha ha and we laugh at the dishonor of one person to another person or group of people. The reason I know it's true is because that's who I was. I still remember that my wife would tell you, I still remember showing up five minutes late to meet my pastor to go to dinner. And when I walk in, he goes, if you can't show honor enough to someone to be on time, then we shouldn't go to dinner. And he walked out and we didn't go to dinner that night. And some of you are like, that's mean. Why can't he just get over it? It's not that big of a deal. That's how dishonor creeps into society. 
And so what's little to you is big to God because what starts out small multiplies when you add people to it. So don't come tell me being late is cool and funny and it's not. It's a joke. You're the joke because I was the joke. You should be on time because it's a small thing. Yeah, it's a small thing. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. But show up. Honor the people who say they love you and you say you love them. Make eye con. This is funny. Make eye contact when people talk to you. Right, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's not my personality. You know, I kind of like No, that's disrespectful. I know it's weird. Like respect is like a lost virtue in our world. It's disrespect is the new thing to celebrate. We got really good at it because we're all real brave around keyboards. Too much. Well, I'm gonna tell them right now that neighborhood thing right now. Instead, my neighbor, you put that fence up. Put put that fence up. Do something about. It. I just want to let you know that if somebody who lives next to me on my street would just shut their dog up every once in a while, when you could just walk over to their house, but you brave behind the keyboard. So we forgot how to like. Look at somebody in their eye. It's, it's my pet peeve of my life. When I come up and I talk to you, and the moment you, I do, you go, uh-huh. What? I, <laughs> you want to get me fired up? I'll be, I, it's weird. I'm just, I turn, like, non-Christian real quick. B.C. Aaron comes out, like, before Christ. Before God, just, <laughs> just. Because it, it's dishonoring. And you're like, Pastor, these are, come on, get to the big things, like how to reach people for Jesus, and come on, how to get to heaven, and come on, talk to us about being generous, come on, we want to live a blessed life. I am. All that matters, because you represent the king. It's the little things. I talked to, a, a, I was a youth pastor for 10 years, and um, I had a conversation with him one time, and I was like, hey. I really want your kid to go to summer camp. I used to take kids to summer camp to every year for 10 years to a place called Hume Lake in California. It's a gigantic lake, great camp, powerful. But I would take 450 kids every week, or every week, every year, every, every week. I would be dead. Every year, <laughs> let's be honest, I would die. I wouldn't have made it. Every year, once a year, once. Everybody say once. 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 Okay, once. That's like my offering to the Lord. I died to myself for a week, and then I just recovered for the rest of the year. Once a year, I'd go to summer camp. I show up, 450 kids. It's powerful. If you ever get into a room of 450 kids at camp, it's one thing to be in a room where it's air-conditioned and you only see them for like two hours on a Wednesday night, but when you're with them every day and they're not necessarily forced to take showers, it's... I'm just having flashbacks right now. Triggered. You know, it's like, oh. Um, so anyway, uh, well, I don't even know why I was telling you story. Oh, okay, camp. So I asked this lady, I was like, are you going to send your kid to camp? And they're like, well, you know, we got some vacations. And uh, it's not, honestly, for us, it's really not, it's not, that big of, it's not that big of a deal. I said, oh, you right? It's just one thing, one year, one week, one time, one camp. 
yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, it's not that big of a, yeah, I mean, you're, you're not wrong. You're just incomplete because what you don't know is that it takes my God one time. I've known people who have one time, one time, they were at some camp, one time. I just talked to somebody in the lobby after first service, walked up to me and said, my life was changed one time. I went to camp once and it revolutionized my life. I'm a believer now because I went to summer camp. And so a lot of us in here are like, well, you know, our kids, like we talk about summer camp, and some of y'all are like, well, that would have been good. You know, I don't really want to fight with my kids to go to camp. By the way, I'm not sure there's any kids in the history of human existence that said, hey, do you want to go to summer camp where you have to get rid of your phone and be alone from me, and, uh, and you can't walk up and eat Cheetos anytime you want, and you got to actually be in a place where you stand and stare at people who are your same age and actually have a conversation with someone, and it might be a little hot and a little sweaty, but you're going to have a great time. I'm not sure any teenager goes, sign me up, Dad. No, you're going to need to go tell them. God's going to change your life. It's going to be this one time that God's going to show up and you're going to have a, an experience with God, an experience at camp, and you're going to make memories and you're going to find friends and you're going to get connected with God and you're going to change your whole life and you're going to follow Jesus for the rest of your life because of an experience that happened to you inside a camp. So I know it's a small thing and it's one time and one week, but why don't you get your kid to camp? If it's money, just tell us it's money. I'm, I'm trying to take off every potential barrier. I, go, I, know, I know people in our church right now who are financially hurting and they paid enough to put their kid through camp. We always put money to the things that we value the most. So it might mean no lattes for a month. That will be your cross to bear for the Lord. Come on, come on. Y'all hear on, y'all, come on. You need to get your kid to camp. If they're in middle school, this is the last week to sign them up. They need to go to camp. This is a shameless plug, I don't even care. Uh, next week is the last week for high school camp. You need to sign up your kids to camp. Don't let anything stop your child from having an experience. Even them. Because they're not going to be like, thanks, Dad, for signing me up. They're going to be like, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? It's going to be. And then you can stand in as a parent and say, great things are going to happen. And it's going to be amazing. And you're not going to play Fortnite for a whole week. God forbid. <laughs> Sorry, a little. What's the word? Passionate. Because I've seen people's lives being changed. I'm not. A, I ain't even sorry. Number three. Uh, you got to give your best, okay, it's give your best in obscurity, and then you got to give your best, right, in like the, the, um, the, the small things of life, but then you got to give your best in the natural. I, this is going to be a little different, but you got to give your best in the natural so that God can do the supernatural. So, so let's, let's, let's walk this out, and I'm done. Second Corinthians chapter 2, it says, it says, when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken from you. He said, well, I want two of everything you got. I mean, that's a pretty good wish, you know? I'm like, man, it's great. And Elijah replied, you have asked. I, I, just, I thought that, man, that's interesting. I just, the word asked 
stood out. Like, you, you, asked, you asked me for it. You know what we can do in the natural with God? Ask. It's the most basic of things we can do as children of God. Just ask. Just ask. The other day, my son Judah, I got five, but this is just Judah's story day. Um, my nine-year-old, he was, in this, he was in the corner, and he was like, he's got so much energy, but if you cross him, you're dead to him. Does anyone have a kid like that? Like, they get a funky attitude, and it's like, oh, no. The whole family kind of turns a little bit. you right. You know, it's like the, the water gets a little murky. He's in the corner, and he's like this. And it was funny because it was strategic. It was just further, far enough for us to know he was staying out of the circle, but just visible enough so that we could see him. Anybody have a smart kid like that? Like, he's, just, he want, he's in protest. He's in silent protest of what's happened in his life. I'm like, okay. See me in the corner. I'm like, Judah, what's wrong? Every time, you look, every time you ask him, he turns a little more away. Judah, what's wrong? Judah, I'm talking to you. Judah! So I walk over. And uh, I, I have no shame with my children, so I just start grabbing his arms and open I'm like, where's my Judah? Where's my Judah? And he's like, like, where's he at? That's not my Judah. Where's he at? Where's my Judah? And he goes, I'm mad. I go, well, clearly that's the case, son. Why are you mad? And he goes, because I didn't get any ice cream. And I was like, no, don't own him. This is bad. <laughs> and so he's like, he's like, he's like, I didn't get any ice cream. And I'm like, what ice cream? He goes, ice cream. You're my, this is, you're my dad and you didn't get me ice cream. And I was like, did you ask me for ice cream? No, you should just know. That's what he said. You should just know I want ice cream. You're my dad. You should know that. I'm your son. You're my. And he goes on to explain the biblical under God responsibility that I have as a father to give him ice cream. And I said, son, I, I, I don't even know you. I don't I didn't even know you wanted ice cream. And he goes, well, you, sh you should just, I said, you, you never asked. And he said, well, I thought you would say no. I said, oh. So a past experience that you had with me affected your current relationship to the point that you now don't receive blessing because you don't ask. It made me think about how our, my relationship with the Lord is like that. Have you ever asked the Lord for something and Him tell you no? It's not a hypothetical question of you. 
touch some sky if you, if you have or ask God for something and he didn't answer your question. Okay. Sounds like everybody. You know what's funny? The next time I go to God, I'm a little less faithful that he'll do it. Anybody else like me? It's kind of messes with you a little bit, you know? She's like, well, he said no before. I don't know. And sometimes I get so much in my head, I don't even ask. I told Judah, I said, Judah, you realize the last time you asked me for ice cream was like 1.30 in the morning. And I'm, you know, I'm Padre El Jefe in the house. You know, you little Nino, you don't know what's going on. And honestly, it was probably not that good of an idea for you to have ice cream at 1.30 in the morning. It's 6 in the afternoon right now in the evening. We just had dinner. This is the perfect time for ice cream. I'd have given you two things of ice cream and not told your mom. It wouldn't have bothered me about a bit. He didn't ask me because he, I said no before. And I think sometimes if God tells you no before, it really does bother us sometimes to ask him again because the last thing you want to hear is no. But can I, just, can I just encourage you? Ask again. Ask again. Sometimes we, we go to God with the remnants of our unanswered prayers and it hinders us to answered prayers in the future. I, uh, I just got back. We were at a, my wife and I went out to the Dominican Republic uh, for a few days, about four days to go serve at a missions organization that we partner with here at our church. And I remember, um, I, I, I have not ever been on a missions trip before. And so this was the first time I was able to go to a, a, a country and see a place that incredibly poor and impoverished in so many ways and um, we were in a village and uh, I remember walking through each of these villages and I mean you know it's just it's everything you can imagine you know um, trash everywhere poverty uh, in ways that you don't fully comprehend unless you see it and we visited this last care point that we were at um, there, was a, uh, there wasn't an actual physical place for the children to come and be a part of the care point to be served, but there was a church. It was a small little church. I think it was like 50 square feet. I, 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 most. And he had 15 people in his church that he preached to every Sunday for two and a half hours. I'm like, you can preach for two and a half hours? That's awesome. My church only lets me preach 30 minutes. So I was jealous. And so he... Um, and we were talking, and there's a you know there's a language barrier, and I couldn't really speak with them, but all the kids were around, and we were feeding them, and we were serving them. And at the end of the care point, we gathered everybody around to pray. And I, when you, again, the language barrier was there, so I, I, I was praying for everybody, and I'm just laying hands on all the kids. Lord, just pray for them, and I have to, you know, God, you're amazing. Spanish, you know, you're gonna do something in their life. Spanish, you know. I'm just praying a prayer, prayer of faith. And then uh, we get done. I say amen. We're about to walk away. And the missionary that we were with, he goes, hey, um, 
ask the, um, can we ask the pastor of this church to pray who lives in this community with no running water, no power, and they, have, they, they don't have any stores for food around. And uh, can you ask this pastor to pray for you? I hurt my leg about, uh, about three and a half weeks ago. It's just been hard for me to uh, walk without pain on my knee. And so on the trip, it's all walking. It's all hiking. And so by the last care point in the last day, my leg was really hurting. And so he goes, well, ask the pastor to pray for, pray for you, to pray for you. I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, it's cool. So I, you know, I'm a pastor. I, I get prayed for pretty regularly, you know. So in my mind, it didn't really cross my mind of what was and so we were, um, so he, the translator asked the pastor, he goes, hey, will you, uh, will you pray for the pastor? And the moment the guy said, pray for the pastor, he was holding something to eat. He put it on the ground and he goes, see, yeah, yes, yes. And uh, did, did we ever give him the, the picture? And so uh, we're here in the pastor. touched my leg and started praying and um, it, it just his prayers were different and I asked the missionary I said it just I, could, I cried the whole time and I said what, what is it that so it felt different. And he said, oh, uh, these people don't know how to doubt. Because they had to, like, believe that God can feed them, protect them. They don't, even, they don't, know, how to, they don't know how to doubt. And he was praying for me, and, and He started his prayer. I thought it was so appropriate. He, he started his prayer. He said, Jesus, thank you. And he said, God, we ask as children asking a good father for healing. And, um, I think I'm ashamed sometimes because I don't ask God for things because I'm not sure I believe he could do it. It's so built my faith. Uh, that God can do anything and then he's more than able. And so some of you in here have stopped asking God for your marriage. Ask again. You stopped asking God to help you financially, ask again. You stopped asking God for your children, maybe to have children or to just deal with the ones that you got, ask again. You stopped asking God for your job and your career, ask again. 
You stopped asking God for your health and your wholeness. You ask again. You stopped asking God for relationships and connections to restore that which was taken from you. Ask again. Because what we can do in the natural is ask so that God can come on the backside and do in the supernatural and fulfill it.